Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This Saturday, November 8th, Hamilton's B.A. Johnson and Lee Reed play the Jane Bond in Waterloo. Coming up later this month at the Starlight, Bad, Bad, Not Good play November 18th, and Sloan perform on November 20th. Jane Bond is located at 007 Princess Street, and the Starlight is just around the corner at 47 King Street in Waterloo, Ontario. For complete listings and information, visit janebond.ca or starlightsocialclub.ca. Creative Control with Beach Comic. Pretty wiped out. I can't get enough rest. I'm very tired all the time. Ever since I got back from Halifax, actually while I was in Halifax a few weeks ago, I just, uh, I put my, I did a thing. Dad clocks are very sensitive. I know that everyone thinks dads are tough. Everyone, right? Dads are tough. Dad clocks are very sensitive. And if, you, if you're if you a dad and you screw up the dad clock, it can take weeks to recalibrate. And that's what's happening to me. I spent the five days having a, the time of my life, staying up late and doing stuff, and then now I'm still tired. I can't sleep. Get enough sleep is what I mean. So I'm feeling a little sluggish. Anyway, show today should perk us all up. What? Kid Millions. John Colpitz also known as Man Forever. He has many names. He is on the program to talk about the latest Man Forever project, which is a collaborative record with So Percussion. It's called Ryanin. And uh, he is in China as we speak. Man Forever is in China playing a show, I believe, on uh, the 7th of November. Uh, he will be playing in Beijing, I think. Anyway, conducted this interview a little while ago and just haven't shared it yet. You're going to hear music from this record uh, by uh, Man Forever and So Percussion. That's it. You should listen, enjoy it, get some rest. This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. 
They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerottis, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. John Kolpitz is a prolific and skilled percussionist based in New York City. Also known as Kid Millions, he's a founding member of the Brooklyn-based band Oneida, who are acclaimed for their euphoric, propulsive, and open-ended rock sound. Over the past four years, Kolpitz has been exploring the outer limits of drums under the moniker Man Forever, which often finds him working with notable musicians, starting improvised drum kit circles, and touring the world. His latest release is a collaboration with New York ensemble So Percussion. It's called Rionin. It's out now via Thrill Jockey Records and has prompted Man Forever to tour different parts of the world. Here now to discuss this further is Kid Millions, a.k.a. Man Forever, a.k.a. John Colpitz. Hi, John. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm well. Where are you? I'm uh, home in Ridgewood, New York, which is in Queens. Oh, you live in Queens. Yeah, it's right over the border with Brooklyn. So it, it, but it really does look like Queens here. So now, what now? What does that mean? I don't know a whole bunch about Queens. I've been to Queens. Mm. Well, the there's this like distinct look to the housing here. It's like um, brick houses with kind of elaborate white painted metal um, bars and. Uh, kind of trellises outside i live in a house which is which is great unusual so yeah that's you're not you're not in like an apartment or something no that's kind of cool are you a are you a ramones fan (laughs) yeah definitely i'm a big ramones fan and the ramones are from queens aren't they yes i think (laughs) so (laughs) anyway that's my you, you that must be nice you're immersed in the world of the Ramones every day. Every single day, for that must, sure. That must be fun. Now, can you tell us about this, uh, this, uh, this, this record? This, did I pronounce it right? Is it Ryonin? Ryonin? Ryonin, I think, but um, I think either one is going to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did this come together? Well, um, the Wordless Music, uh, or there's this organization called Word- Wordless Music, um, started by Ronan Giveney and he was given a mandate to put some musical performances together in association with the Metropolitan Museum's exhibit called 
punk chaos to couture and he thought an interesting collaboration would be between myself as man forever and so percussion and last june uh we performed as part of that exhibition at the met museum and quickly after that we went into the studio and uh put together the record so yeah that was kind of the gist okay so it was an external force that kind of brought you guys together what's the deal with so percussion what can you tell us about so percussion well they're the pretty much the premier uh new music percussion ensemble in the u.s there are there are others absolutely and other really really uh prestigious ones but I guess if you had to rank, they're pretty high up there. They specialize in um, John Cage and Steve Reich pieces, along with many, many other new compositions. They And they're also notable for their collaborations. They work with kind of more artists that, straddle the line between pop and classical even just straight rock but they work with dan deacon and mm-hmm. um as well as steve reich so it's kind of a they're really open-minded to to all kinds of different uh percussion-based compositions so prior to wordless music suggesting you to connect had you seen so percussion or were you a fan of what they were up to I'd never seen them, but I was definitely well aware of what they were doing, and I was—I thought it was a like a, a real easy sell and connection. I thought it would would—I thought it made a lot of sense, and I'd been kind of pitching for us to work together for a while, okay. and this was just the opportunity that presented itself. Now, when you described them moments ago, I couldn't help but think of you. Uh, in terms of what you do, do you find that there's a parallel between the soak percussion approach and your own? Oh, I mean, for sure. I mean, we, I think I just have been trying in the last, you know, four or five years to broaden my reach beyond, say, you know, the so-called indie psychedelic rock world and, you know, explore other avenues in music composition and collaborate with a wide range of, of folks. So, yeah, I mean, it's in a way it's kind of in the, in the water here right now. Um, Hmm. wordless music, I would say we're one of the earliest, uh, groups that thought this would be like a fruitful vein to, to tap. Um, there was clear, I mean, when bands like Tortoise and, uh, other post-rock bands, uh, I guess like the Rachels and Mm -hmm. people like that emerged in the nineties, it was, I guess it was unusual for bands to reference Steve Reich and other experimental or classical composers in their music. And I think that was maybe what 
initially was inspiring Ronan, though I, I actually don't know. But anyway, he wanted to do something more maybe assertive in that way and bring together different strains of music and music makers that just don't tend to cross paths, you know, naturally. So yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like uh, sounds like you are. Now there are two songs, or I, I, do you call them songs? Are they pieces? Are they movements? How yeah, is- no, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I feel uncomfortable calling them pieces, but yeah, they are. Okay, so there's two pieces on on Ryan, and there's the clear realization, and then the title track. The yeah. cl- the clear realization has lyrics. What what are you saying? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't really remember. I mean, I, it's like, I think it was, I don't sing the lyrics anymore. When I first wrote the pieces, I really wanted the next, I mean, at the time, it was after the 2012 album, um, Pansophical Cataract came out, and I toured a lot on that record, and I really wanted to do something different, um, and perhaps like a little more accessible, um, that earlier record had me just playing single stroke roles with other drummers in tandem out of phase with each other for like 30 minutes. I, I didn't play drum set at all. There was no vocals. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try to write some pieces with drum set and I'd like to try to incorporate singing into the, into the new pieces. So that was the impetus. I mean, I think I was just, I don't remember what I was singing. Now, how can you not remember what you were singing? I'm a little baffled by this. I mean, the record exists. Do you want me to play some of it for you so you can hear what you were singing? Or do you just, you, is this not something you wrote down? Did it happen in the moment? No, I did write it down. I wrote it down. Um, um, I, I think I was just meditating on feeling like a feeling of detachment maybe Hmm. um and connecting that with um you know different realms say personal interaction and then like technological interaction that we're having like um I thought about the idea of drones kind of hovering over everybody. Um, so maybe that was what was going on initially. I, I But yeah. <laughs> there does seem to be some, within the lyrics anyway, some interface between the us on Earth and maybe the sky above, some kind of spiritual entity that might be you know, overarching entity that's overseeing things. Am I close to... Well, the, 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 whoever's watching is, is not spiritual. It's just us. So it's not really... It's like a loop. It's closed. It's not satellites or something. I just got... I, I saw it as this relationship between something beyond the planet, like a conversation between you and something beyond. No. It's not that. No, that's the problem. What's the problem? Well, that it's not, there's no, like, there's nothing beyond. There oh. is a conversation. There isn't a spiritual component. 
Okay, so well, I don't even mean. Okay, so you're saying that the way I'm describing it, it might allude to like a heavenly father type thing, and that's not what you're going for. I don't no. even. I don't mean that either. It just seems like an almost an interspecies thing where you're talking <laughs> about somebody or something observing you or us from beyond. Yeah, it would just be other people. Martians? No, humans. Other humans just outside of Earth. No, like just a drone above. Oh, Why? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Just humans. <laughs> I, I, I like where you're going with this, though. <laughs> I don't know why. I just see, I, I like the idea of it being a, a really outgoing, like, you know, I'm trying to communicate. You're saying you're trying to, it, it is a communication among humans, from a human to other humans. It's not something else. Well, I would say it's not communication. It's just observation. Hmm. There's actually no give and take with that. Okay, but when you convey observation, are you not? Never mind. I maybe I'm just <laughs> reading too much into this. I, I am fascinated by the fact that you don't know what you're saying, or you can't recall what you're saying. That's well, why the specifics. I mean, I'm not saying it's the narrator of the song isn't me. You know. Well, how? Who is it then? Just a narrator that I created. Oh, I see. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. That is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. What about, how about this? What about the relationship between the utterances, the, the phrasing, the words, whatever it is that's coming out of you, how does that relate to the actual music? Well, I think there's a certain, I mean, it's evolved. So it's meant to the music's meant to be a suspended like meditation, like a, like a way to stop time from passing a wait. Uh, it's a way to wait. So I do repeat the word wait, you know, initially, mm -hmm. I mean, um, yeah, it, it it's, uh, the relationship, I don't know. It, it just, it's what came to mind when I listened back to the, to the actual music. And it's what I kind of happened to be thinking at the time that the music came. So it, the relationship simply is that at the same time the music arrived, those kinds of thoughts were in my head when I went to write the lyrics. <laughs> you, John, you seem like a fellow who might have a slight frustration with someone asking you to articulate a thing when the thing is the thing. <laughs> I don't know, really. I, I don't mean to sound frustrated. I've just not been asked, you know? Yeah, no, no, that's fair. I just also think, but I do think where I'm, what I'm getting from you, and if you, you can say that that's not the case all you want, but I get the sense that, uh, you know, you feel like I made a thing and the thing should speak for itself. And at the same time, I don't know what that thing is saying. <laughs> yeah, well, the the latter definitely. I mean, I don't know. I appreciate wanting to know what somebody was thinking because I really i I imagine that as well when I'm curious about like uh, some work that I, I'm I'm into or at least curious about. So I appreciate it. I feel like what is happening is that you're just revealing kind of the the reality of the way i make 
music and work and it's it's not I don't really know what I'm saying you know I just it just there's a when I get down to business I'm just creating and not trying to get too too involved in the granular elements of it because really it doesn't even matter what I wanted to say right it just doesn't. Now, you mentioned meditation or, or meditative kind of, um, you know, just conveying some sort of meditative state, I suppose, in your work. Are you, this is a practice that you employ? Are you, you do meditation? No. I, <laughs> you don't? Okay. I don't, like, explicitly. I think I, I think, well, like, I, I don't have any, I have no practice, hmm. right? Like, I've, i I've not studied it, but I imagine that somewhat like from just having a sense of what it is that, yeah, some of what I do must have parallels and it's a good word and it definitely applies to how I experience, you know, music, how I, how like the best music or the, the, the music that kind of resonates best with me. I would say would be kind of meditative so that like the music itself isn't necessarily important or isn't really resonating in a way where it's like, wow, this is moving or powerful. The moving, the being moved kind of occurs with my own thoughts and I may not even be thinking about the music, but it would allow me to say, as as the you know meditate on you know being alive in a way that like most interactions that we have now they're distractions you know like the 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 world of 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 the digital world is like a distraction from living so you're talking about getting into a zone, getting into some focus, which particularly as a drummer, you really need to do. Yeah, for sure. It used to be like not like getting into that so-called zone or focus was like innate. Just for me, I just got there. Now it's a real struggle. I, maybe it's just because I'm older. It just takes so much more energy and effort. Hmm. But yeah, that's because of you mentioned sort of digital distraction. But you know, when you're a drummer and uh, playing with other people who are playing things that aren't drums, I know you're doing a lot of stuff with drums and other drummers now nowadays. But um, when you're playing with other musicians, there's all this other noise that you've got to, you know, that that informs what you're doing in your physical state. So you're saying that that's there's almost like an overstimulation. Gen- like you, you're used to that, I think, as a drummer. But now you're at a point where the overstimulation has become too much. Well, no, I mean, just say I'll be specific, more specific. Say for this, for the clear realization, like playing that piece live, it's thirty minutes long, and there's a I'm playing like sixteenth notes with my kick drum. So it's something like you know, boom, 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 boom for like. 30 minutes straight right and that's just i mean that's 
it, that's really hard. <laughs> it's physical, but it's mental, and it's gotten to be overwhelming. Like I feel like I can't do it anymore. I want to give it up. I want to stop doing it. I've played at that piece like many times since I wrote it. And I'm kind of like hitting a wall because it's so challenging physically. Oh, you want to you want to retire one of the key songs from your new record? That's that's, yeah. that's interesting. Ready for retirement? <laughs> but I, you know, I'm not. I don't think. I don't know. It's just. It's hard. I think. It, I think it's good that you came to a clear realization about the clear realization. <laughs> I think it's good to be self aware about that stuff because you don't want to push yourself to do something that's you know not enjoyable. Well, sure. I guess. Although you got to look at what, you know, what's driving you to to not do these things. Where's that where's the 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 energy that's holding you from doing these things coming from? That's the question. That's the distraction. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Now, googling Ryanin brings forth many images of the same young naked woman. She's a she's a model, I believe, or something. Do you know of yeah. this this Ryanin? <laughs> yeah, I do, but I I didn't. I had never before I wrote this piece or learned about Ryanin, I'd never heard of of this model. What what is the you're referring to a Ryanin that was a nun? Yes. She and she was the she's a relation to a great Japanese warrior, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know the whole story. Can you tell us a bit about Ryan? Yeah, I mean, it's just the clear realization or a clear realization, Ryanin. It's like it's one of it's a Zen koan. It's I found it in a book like that reprinted them called Zen Flesh, Zen Bones, and it really resonated with me because it's it, it challenges so many assumptions you might have about well I don't know you but I might have about Zen and Buddhism and men and women and sexism and violence and it's uh, it's not a nice koan it's not beautiful it's not it's not it's moving but it's violent and disturbing uh in this in the story the nun it's a woman with a family who wants to study zen and she renounces her family she leaves everybody that's your first step she's got kids she's married and she leaves everyone that's your first step. Hmm. Next step, so you're like, okay, wow, that's challenging to consider, like somebody renouncing responsibility to other people. Then she wants to go study Zen, and the teachers say that she wants to study with say, oh, you know, you're too beautiful, you're too distracting, I'm sorry, but I can't teach you. Which is a whole nother la- layer of like, okay, that's fucked up. 
and misogynist or sexist or whatever you want to call it or just, you know. And then in order to study with these people, she takes a hot poker and burns her face. And then she's accepted into these into uh, these, you know, whatever, by these teachers. And then she becomes a nun and she becomes a poet. And the koan ends with a couple of her poems. And it's very short. I mean, anybody can read it. It's online. Are you Googling it right now? I can hear yeah. you typing. Very typing. Yeah. Ryanin's Clear Realization. Right. So... It's it's hard. it's really I mean it's not simple it's not beautiful it's not cool. So by employing this story and this imagery in these works, what are you saying about them? What are you saying about the sort of political subtext of of the tale that you just told? Well, the, a koan isn't meant to like have an answer, right? It's not. It's supposed to be a path to enlightenment. It's supposed to be a way that you brush aside distractions. I'm not trying to say anything. I just I'm just presenting it. I just think it's it's really resonates in a myriad way, in myriad ways. It's a disturbing story it doesn't make sense why is it singled out it's like a lot of the koans they're they're challenging they don't make sense can you can you just briefly explain your definition of a koan to people who may not know well there's a there's a full there's like a set of like traditional zen koans they're basically um a story or a statement or a question that tests a student's like worldview or maybe their progress. I'm reading, I'm kind of reading from a wiki, but they, they just, it's a way to just present a student of Zen with a situation that doesn't, hold up to reason it provokes doubt right sure yeah it provokes i mean i don't know if it always would oh i see maybe yeah but anyway yeah it's like wow what that's not the way it should be what i'm supposed to kill the buddha if i see the buddha that doesn't make sense to me Hmm. You, you know or or there's so there's a number of them and I just found them in this book, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. So there was just, and this was just one of them, and it resonated with me. Hmm. No, that, that, that's, that's interesting. And I mean, I think that for some folks, you're known as someone who explores the, whatever that, whatever psychedelia means. I mean, I think you've been associated with a, with uh-huh. that kind of sound or that, that kind of, that kind of, um, mentality i suppose as well what do you suppose the relationship is between your well not even your interests what do you suppose the relationship is between zen philosophy 
and and sort of psychedelic states of mind? Uh, that's a cool question. Well, I mean, I should say I am not. I suppose, yeah, the music I've made is can could over the years has been classified as psychedelic. I I mean, I don't really, I don't do drugs. So, you know, I, I mean, I think it's in the cliched sense, you know, it's a way of disassociating yourself with the kind of given translated material that you you know you that you're you're tr- like the, the 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 stuff your senses are translating and the that your mind is translating psychedelia or psychedelics would kind of disrupt that translation and kind of present you with a new set of realities or ideas about what you're seeing or feeling or hearing that do not easily coexist with your assumed sets of assumptions or your sets of, of, of senses or sensory translation or whatever. Right. Right. So in the same way, Buddhism and Zen Buddhism specifically would be disrupting your assumptions about, you know, reality or, 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 or living in, in similar ways, I guess, but it's way more disciplined, like psychedelic and psych, the psychedelic movement is like bullshit. It's like the, it's like the way, it's like a way of attaining enlightenment through like a shortcut. Right, right, right. I mean, to me, I'm not a proponent of it. I mean, I'm not, you know, it's, I would say I'm, there would be people that, there have been studies where scientists are, are saying like, okay, does, is someone a Buddhist who's enlightened have the same brain patterns as somebody who's on a LSD trip? And they've actually studied this stuff. But I, I don't know, you know, to me, uh, you know, whatever. It's not something, I, I'm not really a psychedelic, I have no knowledge of that world. I, I couldn't even pretend, you know. That's fair, that's fair. But I do think... I mean, this sort of leads nicely into a route into your past a little bit. I'm curious about what first sparked your musical interest and maybe how that that interest... You, you do seem to be someone who is, if not, you know, buying it, you're at least interested and immersed in, in notions of alternate routes or alternate trains of thought. So I'm curious about how that mentality relates to your first memories of being interested in music oh yeah well my my first exposure to music was through this program that my parents put me through when i was like very young i would say four five six it was it was a program in like sharon connecticut 
that was called Music for Children. And it was based off like music created for, well, music created for children by Carl Orff, who wrote a number of pieces that would be easily performed by kids so that were on like glockenspiels and had and voices and there were a lot of cannons or rounds hmm. and you know that that music is out there you can hear it and i i mean i you know it was just for me it was just like okay this is just music class and there, and and um so that was my first exposure to music and it was um I mean, I think it was significant. At the time, it was just the thing to do. But um, I later took piano lessons. Uh, my grandmother bought my family an upright piano. But I had terrible teacher. I had a terrible teacher. So it wasn't really... I loved the piano. And, like, my sisters and I were really excited by the piano but then we had to take these lessons and it, it was like, it, it just like destroyed that interest, I think, for all of us. And so, why, sorry, so, why, why was the teacher so terrible? I mean, I, I don't know how to define it. It was just, they didn't inspire any excitement or, or awe or or, you know, energy associated with the instrument. It was just like, okay, here's some new students. They got it. Let's like the book that we had, you kind of, I forget what it was, but you would learn, you would associate a number of your finger to a note. It was a, it was like this shortcut thing. Oh yeah. 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 I did piano lessons like that recently. Yeah. So, um, it was really hard to make that leap from the fingers to the notes and there wasn't any, it was like the, I had one lesson from a really great teacher. My first lesson, first thing she did was there was no, nothing written. It wasn't anything. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. ...to do with like notated music. It was just like scales. And she said, this is a major scale and this is a minor scale and this is how you play it. And this is what it sounds like. And there, boom, play it. To me, 
that was really interesting and exciting. But then she was like, I can't teach you. I have too many students. So you're going to take lessons with this other guy. <laughs> and he sucked. But whatever. So, so then once I just dropped music, it, was, it wasn't interesting to me. I loved music. I loved the radio and songs. I listened to it incessantly, but I never played it. And I grew up in a small town and there was no like culture about playing music it just it didn't really enter in you know so I got to high school and then I there was like bands and people playing and I thought oh all right I may maybe maybe I could play the drums there's not many drummers here so so that was kind of the start and and once I I started playing drums there was no looking turning back in a way yeah what were the key bands or artists for you at that time? I, sorry, going back to the piano and, and early music lessons up to high school. What, what were you listening to? Well, Top 40 radio, AM radio. I don't know if in Canada there's the same, like AM radio had this like, it was kind of this programming that was soft rock. Yeah. Okay, so... You had like Christopher Cross and, you know, uh, Dan Dan Fogelberg and um, stuff like that. And that was – I loved that music. I loved it. Bread and all that stuff. And then I discovered Top 40 radio. I mean my sisters were actually – they were younger, but they kind of actually were – way more advanced musically. Like my sister Susie had the Smiths, the queen is dead. She bought that. And then, um, you know, top 40 radio from the eighties. So the stuff that still seems to have a cultural like grip, uh, you know, Michael Jackson and Devo and all that. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I didn't really get into like the so-called alternative music until college. I didn't really know about it. I, I just didn't, I had no idea that there were people, young people my age writing their own songs and, and touring and all that stuff. So I didn't learn about that till college. Hmm. But at some point, like you mentioned a bunch of sort of softer uh, you know, kind of edgeless music there. At some point, you know, you, you're known for playing a bit of a, you, you play louder music. So at some point, it was just in the, it was just when you got to college that you discovered that kind of edgier stuff? Well, no, I mean, actually, I got, I skipped a little. I mean, I, I was really drawn to anything that was hard on the radio dial, the hardest stuff I could find. I mean, at that time, that wasn't anything very hard. I think if I had known about metal, if I'd heard it, I would have really loved it. But I didn't hear it until later. So it was just, say, The Who or something, where a guy screamed once in a while. So I was really into, like, and then when I heard Velvet Underground in high school... I thought, oh, yeah, I love this band. This is cool. But I also, but everything else, you know, other people 
were into like Woodstock era music, the dead and CSNY and, um, you know, Jefferson airplane and uh, like Van Morrison, Dylan, there wasn't anything cool of people, anything after that era was not considered cool. So I was not exposed to it at all. I see. Okay. But then in, did you say in high school you started playing drums? Yes. And, and what were the first bands you were in kind of like? They're like cover bands. Like we played the dead and, Van Morrison and Traffic and well we played GNR I suppose um but yeah it was like that it was I went to prep school so it was like a real isolated uh um what's the word um reactionary environment there was no it was people were like obsessed with the dead and Woodstock and hippies and like smoking weed and psychedelic drugs. But there was no, it was all anything that happened after 1972 or something wasn't cool. I don't know how that happens, (laughs) but that's just the way it was there. Interesting. And this is just some little town in Connecticut. Uh, I went to prep school in uh, New Hampshire. In New Hampshire, okay. Yeah. Now, at some point, well, actually, I have no idea. At what point did Oneida first come together? Well, Bobby and I from Oneida met in prep school. We we didn't we we had a, we made an album that was in Oneida our senior year. When we went to separate colleges, but stayed in touch, and Oneida kind of formed when we both moved to Brooklyn in 1996 or 97. What what brought you to Brooklyn? Um, you know, it was just that he Bobby was moving here with a friend and asked if I wanted to come. I mean, that was it. I had no plan, <laughs> none <laughs> after I graduated, so I just I just came. Okay. I just came along, yeah. So the first thing you did together wasn't Oneida? No, it was something in high school. What was it called? Mongrel. Mongrel. Did you make yeah. re- did you make recordings or yeah, there's a record. There's a record. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean not you can't find it. But it yeah. We made an album. There's no we didn't like press it up or anything. Where 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 did it end up? Um, I, I think we have copies. I, maybe the school, we did an album as like an independent study. It was like for credit. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they probably have a copy there. Um, you know, there's some good songs. I mean, I didn't write them. I was just the drummer. Bobby was a great, he's a great songwriter. What was the name of the uh, album? Um... I don't remember. That's a good question. Okay. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't called Number 12 Looks Like You. <laughs> no. Okay. I just looked up a band called Mongrel that has Number 12 or maybe The Number 12 Looks Like You. Or maybe that's the name of the band and the album is called Mongrel. Anyway, I was trying to find it. 
Just because I like a challenge, and you said that I couldn't find it. I wanted to f- try to find it. Well, there's one called... There looks like there's a female-fronted aggressive punk rock metal band from Massachusetts. But, yeah, I think Mongrel, the name, we just came up with it at the time. We never... We really didn't... We played a couple shows, you know. All right. That's I, I won't look. I'm not going to look anymore. I'm just doing a yeah. quick search. All right, so Mongrel, what did Mongrel sound like? We sounded like, I would say, alternative rock of that time. Okay. So it would be like uh, a bit tongue-in-cheek, maybe like Joy Division, uh, Robin Hitchcock. Um, the feelies, stuff like that. Okay, so this is what did you say? Ninety seven? No, ninety six. Ninety six. Oh, this was no, oh, this was high school. Oh, this That's was even high school. Oh, I'm sorry. 90, 1990, 91. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oneida was what first records? What around ninety seven or something, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm just making sure. All right. So. What was the kind of basis of Oneida in terms of what you wanted to convey? Like, did you have an articulation of the sound you wanted to to produce together? Um, Well, we started, the band started actually between myself and a guy I knew in college, Pat Sullivan. Um, We really, we just started because I ran into him at a party and I just said, hey, we should make an album let's do it. And unlike a lot of drunken promises at parties like that, we actually did it. And, um, there happened to be a guy I knew who had a record label and we gave him the finished, the mixed album and he liked it. So he put it out and that was the start. We had to come up with a band and that's how I got Bobby involved and, and Jane, they stepped in to be part of the touring band. Okay. And that was the start, yeah. And now, what is the current state of the... I mean, you guys made have made a billion records. For some reason, at some point, people thought you were <clears throat> kind of done. But uh, you put out a record in uh, 2012? Mm, yeah. And so, like, it's an active... It's a thing, right? It's not... It's not- yeah, it's active. I don't, know, I don't know where people got the impression we were done. But... We're still, we have a, we just did a tour. We played Toronto, not like last week. Oh, you did not. Did you? Did I miss you guys in Toronto? You did. What the heck? I don't know. It's been, it's been a bit busy around here. I wish, I wish I had known that. We could have, we could have done this in person. Oh, okay. I didn't even, my, that's my fault. You know what? (laughs) You're going to be even more angry. Uh Oh, I slept in Guelph. What? Did you stay with Bry? I stayed at Bry's house. Oh my god. I wasn't there. What the hell? That's ridiculous. I just I'm thinking about this now and just realizing how stupid. Anyway, whatever. No, it's fine. We're talking now. It's fine. Yeah. I just uh, cool. to be honest, it's been a busy time here too. So obviously we've had trouble connecting. Anyway, all right. So Anita, yeah, am I wrong? Like is that a lot of people thought the band was taking some kind of hiatus, but you never were. No, we haven't. Okay. Now, where did Man Forever come from in terms of, uh, you know, just in terms of 
Oneida is still going. What what made you? Uh, what compelled you to to put together this Man Forever project? Um, basically, I was asked by the owners of Secretly Canadian to do a solo album. At the time, they had a kind of a smaller vinyl only. Uh, boutique kind of label called St. Ives and they asked me they were like we really want to do a solo album by you there was no you know plan or or thought of what that would be and I said yes right away because I'm not one to turn down opportunities hopefully at least that's what I think and so I said I'd do one but I didn't have any idea of what it would sound like or what it would be. And I kind of struggled for eight or nine months, like recording a little this and that and trying to figure out of what Man Forever could possibly be. And I had almost given up. And I went to a concert thrown by a friend of mine's group. Uh, his group's called the Fireworks Ensemble. And they did a concert at Miller Theater at NYU that was the Ulrich Krieger transcription of Lou Reed's Metal Machine music. Hmm. And he just transcribed that record for kind of chamber orchestra. And my friend Brian Coughlin is the was the leader of that of fireworks ensemble and he was like yeah man you should come to this you know I'd, i've known brian since we were four or five years old so we we've been friends for forever and uh, so i went to the show and uh before the show i was reading ulrich krieger's program notes about how Lou Reed had actually made metal machine music. And I learned that he had like tuned the guitar to kind of a open chord. And he leaned a bunch of guitars up to different amps to get different ranges of feedback and feedback is just overtones, you know, resonating right at different frequencies. So, once Ulrich Krieger got the tunings from Lou Reed, because Lou Reed, I think, kind of participated in the project, um, he was able to decode a lot of the material, um, recorded material, because it's just, it's actually not noise. I mean, people call that record a noise record, but it's not noise. It's overtones, and it's tape speed manipulation like some of the tracks he plays like speed it up and some are some are slowed down so you have a really wide range of of recorded material but it's all like guitars kind of feeding back so once i read that and had a sense of wow okay this is how he did this then I saw the performance, and during the performance, I was reminded of some conversations I'd had with Brian Chase, the drummer of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, about tuning drums based on a just intonation scale, which would be 
kind of the Pythagorean scale versus the uh, the Bach, you know, the well-tuned piano uh-huh. scale, which is not a natural tuning scale. There's like, anyway, it's a long conversation, but I just thought, oh, you know, Brian is really into tuning drums, and this is how Lou Reed made his record. I'm going to make a record, like a metal machine music like, but for drums. Hmm. And I went into the studio and did it like the next weekend, you know, and manipulated tape speeds. And I had, I did it to tape and, um, that was what the record became. And so, um, that album came out in 2010 and it had a small, but you know, or modest impact, but, but it had an impact in a, in a small, on a small scale. Like I got a nice write up in the New York times, like a feature and a lot of cool press and reviews. And I was, I actually played it live a bunch and it kind of opened some doors and made me, gave me like an avenue to make my own music, like exclusively my own. Yeah. That's fascinating, isn't it? That you've been making you'd been making music at that point in Oneida for about thirteen years and, you know, certainly a strong underground following, but then you do this thing. I mean, I assume Man Forever when you say open some doors, you're talking about the New York Times. At some point you ended up on TV with Yola Tango, didn't you? Oh yeah. Well yeah, I don't know if that had to do with Man Forever, but uh yeah, I mean, Yola Tango's been really kind to Oneida over the years, and um, I think that was more connected to that. But I, but James McNew from Yola played on the first Man Forever record for Thrill Jockey, which came out in 2012. Right. Um, so... Yeah, he's been, they've been real close and great supporters of Oneida and of my music. And so that was, I mean, that was just a lucky, really cool opportunity. That's great. I mean, things sound like, I think things are going really well for you. You're having sleepovers in Guelph, you know, you're (laughs) playing with Oneida, you're doing stuff with Man Forever. It's all good. What's coming up next for you? Well, um, I just... I'm getting the test pressings for a, a duo album that I did with um, Jim Sauter from Borbito Magus. He, Borbito Magus is like the um, considered the first noise band, kind of. They started in New York in the early 80s. It's two saxes and guitar, and they have a long storied history. And I'm playing with one of the sax players. Um, I have... Uh, some plans, some more touring plans with Man Forever, a few more U.S. shows, and then um, hopefully some some dates in Europe. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm playing with the Boredoms. It's a Japanese, you know, I, yes. rock. I, every, I, we know the Boredoms. Well, I shouldn't say everyone, but the Boredoms are legendary. Yeah, so I'm playing with them next month in Japan. Um 
I'm doing a duo performance with Jay Spaceman of Spiritualized in New York in o- late October. Wow. Um, and I've got a bunch of other things working on. Oneida's working on finishing an album with Reese Chatham. We're, oh, wow. We're also finishing our own album. Um, I do a project called People of the North with Bobby from Oneida. And we just had a, a, a EP come out called Judge a Man by His Fruits. And then we're working on a new thing to, that's coming out next year. So, yeah, there's always all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, man, you sound really, really busy. Now, the one thing I am aware of, which you didn't touch touch on, cause, and I don't know what the status is, but you, you were making a record with Bri Webb, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I was, and, and we, I mean, I think my part is done. Uh, um, Bry needs to finish up some lyrics and conceptualize the project a little bit, I think. That's my understanding. I'm happy to step in and get, lay some more drums down, but I don't think, I think I'm, my role is done with <laughs> is, that. Is it essentially a guitar and drums thing or? How- yeah, there's a, there's bass too. Yeah. Um, it's his songs. Okay. So I, I, it wasn't so much a collaboration, but he, he was, he was into my arrangements for drums. So, okay. Yeah. So that's that's just that's in a holding pattern. Yeah, it's in the works. I think Bry is well. I don't know. I think he's gonna maybe tackle that next. I I'm not sure. Yeah, it's who's to say? He's a busy guy too. You guys are he's, both really busy. I hope I hope he, he finishes it. I'd love to to have that come out. It'd be great. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what's going on with it. I should. I'll call him right after we're done. Yeah, please. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, so, well, I just want to tell folks once again the latest release by Man Forever is a collaboration with the New York Ensemble So Percussion. It's called Ryan N. It's uh, out now via Thrill Thrill Jockey Records. And for more information about it and, and all things Man Forever, visit thrilljockey.com. dot com. Um, John, if we could play a song, maybe from this thing or something else, what would, what could we play? Yeah. Um. I would say you could play the clear realization if you wanted to. That would be that would be great, or some of it. I don't know if you want to no, do d- all of it. Yeah, what? Let me let me just check here. Let me just take a look at this one. What do we got here? It's no, it's like twelve minutes. That's nothing. Right. We, we can do that. Why can't we do that? We can do anything we want. Okay. Right. Well, listen. It's a pleasure to speak with you, and I wish you the best of luck with everything. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Vish. Thank you so much.
If you enjoy the Creative Control podcast and want to support it with a monthly pledge, please visit patreon.com slash creative control. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash creative control with two k's. You can pledge one dollar a month or four dollars, eight dollars, thirty dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars a month, whatever you want. There are gifts and incentives to pledge. But more than anything, you can keep the show going. There's no other revenue stream for this podcast. I've been doing it for my own fulfillment and to contribute something to the culture. But I think it's time to see if I can generate some kind of salary from all of this work. So, if you appreciate Creative Control, again, please consider pledging a monthly amount. All of the info you need is at patreon.com slash creativecontrol. Thank you. Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.